This episode is sponsored by Less Accounting. Are you looking for a system that makes it easy to track all of your expenses, income, and your budget? Is QuickBooks too much of a pain for you? It was for me, and I switched to Less Accounting, and I love it. It makes things really easy to keep track of and gives me a lot of charts and graphs that make it easy for me to look at and just know where I'm at with my expenses and everything else. One of the owners, Alan Branch, and his son have written a book for entrepreneurs' children that talks about what entrepreneurs do and why they're important. So if you're interested in that, you can go to lessaccounting.com slash hero. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the first place I go to keep my business skills sharp. They offer over 150,000 books on business, finance, planning, and much more. They also have a great selection of fiction that keeps me entertained when I'm just not up for some serious content. I love it because I can buy a book, download it to my iPhone, and listen while running errands or at the gym. Get your free trial at freelancershow.com slash audible. This episode is brought to you by CodeSchool. CodeSchool offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to freelancershow.com slash CodeSchool. This episode is brought to you by ProXPN. If you're out and about on public Wi-Fi, you never know who might be listening. With ProXPN, you no longer have to worry. ProXPN is a VPN solution which sends all of your traffic over a secure connection to one of their servers around the world. To sign up, go to ProXPN.com and use the promo code TMTCS, short for Teach Me to Code Screencasts, to get 10% off for life. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 134 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Eric Davis. Hello. Ruben Lerner. Hi everyone. Curtis McHale. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv and this week we have a special guest, Travis Northcutt. Howdy. Awesome. You want to introduce yourself really quickly? Oh, yeah. So I'm um, Travis Northcutt. I run a business called The Bright Agency. It's myself and my partner, Michael Steele. We do web design and development and some general marketing consulting. Uh, we've been doing that for about four years now. Awesome. Well, we brought you on today to talk about finding confidence as a small consultancy. Do you run into people who run smaller companies that aren't as confident in their ability to sell or do business? Yeah, and probably mostly with solo freelancers. You know, I see that a lot, especially as it relates to pricing. You know, people just having confidence in what they charge their clients and being able to kind of move up that ladder to, uh, you know, bigger clients that pay more and uh, treat them more like valued professionals than just the hired help that is really cheap. So, yeah, I see that a good bit, especially with solo people. And so how do you think someone makes that transition from lack of confidence to confidence? I think a lot of it is time, just, you know, gaining experience, but I think you can speed that up. And in my case, you know, I've been able to do that to kind of speed that process up by, you know, being intentional about your education, you know, learning uh, new skills, but then also not just, you know, your, your technical skills, but learning better how to deal with clients and how to sell your value and, and really understand your value before you even try to sell it and gaining confidence in that just, you know, over sort of repeated pounding it into your head style, if nothing else. And what would be the best resources you found for your value? I think a lot of the stuff that Brennan Dunn puts out is pretty good. You know, he has, uh, I'm sure you all have talked about, you've had him on several times, talked about double your freelancing rate. His stuff is really good. It does a, you know, a good job of sort of convincing you that you can charge, you know, quote unquote real rates for what you're doing. And that applies to designers, developers, but also I think other professions, also other things that people would do as a freelancer, writing or 
other types of consulting. So I think that's probably a, you know, a really good starting point resource. So what are some of the things that people can kind of see that, that to recognize this issue themselves? So for example, are there particular behaviors or thought processes that people go through that demonstrate a lack of confidence? Yeah, totally. So I think a big one is not being firm and direct in your communications with your clients. So it's easy for a lot of people to, you know, especially when they start to talk money, to be timid about that and to kind of throw out the invoice and just hope that the client pays it without arguing. And, you know, if the client tries to negotiate, then to just be a pushover. So yeah, I think that's a huge area um, just in terms of pricing and invoicing is to mainly to, to be a pushover in that area and not have confidence in, you know, the value that you're providing and um, letting the client just kind of take what they want really. So one thing that I've seen or heard with some people is that it seems like, so they, they go out and they ask for that price, you know, that price that they think they're going to get from, you know, whatever, whoever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they get some objection. And that's where the confidence or lack of confidence really shows up. Well, maybe I could cut you a deal or, well, yeah, I guess you're right. What is the approach you should have when you go in and do that? Yeah, when you when you get that objection, I think a big thing, you know, when we do our pricing, we always present options to the client. So, you know, we first we talk with them, we learn about their needs and, you know, what their their business objectives are and all that kind of stuff. And then we present different options that, you know, if we've talked about budget, then one will be below their budget, one will be at their budget, one will be above, you know, loosely. And so what you can do then if they try to negotiate price with you, you can just say, yeah, sure, we can lower the price and we just cut this and we cut this and so they get less as a result, but you can be flexible to work within somebody's budget to some extent, you know, if they're just completely lowballing you and just being overly stingy, then they're probably not a great client. But uh, I think that's a great approach is to be, you know, to kind of respond with the, yeah, well, we can cut the, the price for sure. And here's what we'll cut out of the project and to stand firm on the value you're delivering and to stand firm on, you know, what you're going to charge for what you do. And then I know that some of the folks that I talk to would go, well, then what if they don't hire me? Great. Move on to, to somebody better. I mean, you know, there's plenty of fish in the sea. And when you're starting out, it can be, you know, it can be a struggle because, you know, you probably don't have tons of leads and maybe you do have to, you know, negotiate and cut your prices and, and take what you can get. But as quick as you can, that's, that's another huge confidence booster is to both you be the one to say no to a potential client, say, hey, we're not a good fit and to move on. I think that's a huge confidence booster. Along with something, you know, another thing is to fire a client, you know, that, that isn't a good fit for you. That's either an unhealthy relationship or they just, you know, don't want to spend to get the value that you're providing. I think those two things can be enormous confidence boosters. I think it's more than they don't want to spend is that they don't see the value in it or their value perception is really low. I know I was talking to a friend last week and he was selling a $9 plugin and the person said, Hey, like for nine bucks, I should be getting like 10,000 extra things. This should be $3, which I thought like $9 series, like you saved so much time on that. It would probably cost you like seven, eight hundred, nine hundred dollars to develop it, but you know, $9. But that's yeah. like their value perception was really low on that, which is something that. Uh, and I know Travis, like Travis and I both work in WordPress. That's something that's especially in the WordPress industry is low, right? Yeah, the totally. Value perception is often lower than than what you'd get even for developers uh, in any other industry. Often, 
Definitely. And I think there's two things there. One is that education is a big thing. So educating your clients or, you know, potential clients on, on the value that you're delivering. If you don't, if you haven't done that up front, then of course they're going to balk at your pricing if your rates are, you know, appropriate. And then two, you know, some people are just, I don't know the right term, pathological. You know, they're, they're, with all the education in the world, they're not going to, you know, some people are just crazy. And then three, like Curtis said, you know, different sort of ecosystems. You know, it's a real thing in, in the WordPress world is that the value perception is, is lower because there's lots of free or super cheap stuff out there. And so you just have to do a better job of, you know, of selling your value for sure. So if they do object, does that mean that you didn't sell your value well? I don't think necessarily. I think a, a lot of times it can mean that. But at the same time, you know, I think some people just sort of have that knee-jerk reaction of always negotiate and try to get what they can. And in some cases, you know, if, if you know, that's them, you know, doing their fiduciary duty to, to the business that they're working for or that they own. And so there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But then if you respond with reason, you know, showing them, hey, we talked about this, we agreed that this is the value that this provides, and we're providing a, you know, a five or ten times return on investment, you know, over a year or two years or whatever the case may be, then at that point, if they agree with you on the value that you're providing, then either at that point, maybe they are one of those pathological people or they just, they outwardly say they agree with the value, but but they really don't see it or, or they just think they can get more elsewhere. Maybe that's the case, you know. So it seems like the approach that you're advocating is that you figure out what value it has for the customer and then your confidence comes out of the fact that you recognize that they are going to get a certain amount of value, and so your work then has a certain amount of value. Yeah, I'm I'm becoming more and more of an advocate of that approach. I don't at all think that that's the only you know the only reasonable approach. I think you know having a an hourly price is perfectly uh, reasonable in some cases. I know, you know Curtis is a big fan of weekly pricing, and I think that's perfectly reasonable too. I think all of those things can be done well, but I think even if you are charging on a sort of a time basis. I think even then talking to the client about the value that you're bringing and about, you know, the the return that they're going to get on that, I think that can really help with that sales process. It can help with them not bulking at your rates cuz you know, with Curtis, I don't know what your weekly rate is, but if you, you know, if you tell the client your weekly rate and say, "But look at what I can build in that week and what that can do for you." Then of course there's, you know, they would go along with that rate and and be agreeable to that. Yeah, and actually currently I've moved to a bit of a hybrid of that where I price based on value and divide it up into the weeks I think it will take. And the weekly rate is variable in that respect. Uh, Interesting. How's that gone so far with the clients? Uh, It has gone well, which has allowed me to increase what I make per week. And it's gone well. And then a subsequent week would cost, you know, the same amount. Yeah. If we needed more to complete. Right. If you need to tack on more. Yeah, that's great. So if you aren't going with a value-based price, let's say you're doing hourly or, you know, you just set a fixed rate for your uh, weekly billing, how do you gain confidence that you're providing the value for the customer? You know, I think, again, the experience plays a big part. So, you know, with a with a new client, you can say, hey, look, I did, you know, once you have the experience, you can say, hey, look, I did a similar project for client X over here. This is what we were able to accomplish in that week. And building that same thing or designing that same thing or, or similar in your business, you know, can have this kind of impact. And it requires you to build trust with your client so that they're willing to talk about their business with you. If you're strictly a technical implementer and, you know, they just bring you a list of requirements, then I don't know that you 
can talk about their specific business and the value it'll bring there, but I think you can still make a case for the amount of value you can provide in, in that amount of time, you know, that week's time or two weeks time, whatever it is. And again, it, a lot of it probably does come down to experience. I think even as a technical implementer, you need to have the value discussion though, because it may not be of any value to them and no one really thought about it yet, or it just sounded like a good idea and there's no outside voice saying, well, let's double check that first. I've done that with a number of clients. And so I actually refuse, even if I'm getting hired by an outside agency, I refuse to do the work unless I can talk to the clients and we can have a value discussion before I do pricing. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, the the long-term benefit there is, besides the fact that it's just the right thing to do, is that, you know, then when they do need somebody, of course they're going to come to you because they know you're going to vet their, you know, vet their project and make sure that it's worth it to spend that money on you, you know. So they'll probably come back. So what does it look like when you start off with a new client or a new potential client? Like, do you have an initial meeting with them at which you talk about their value proposition? Is this something that you bill for as part of your work? Uh, that's a good question. We haven't done that yet, build for that initial sort of discovery phase. I'm pretty interested in that, and I know some people do that, but it isn't something that we've implemented. Right now, we start asking questions. You know, we ask about what's the motivation behind this project? Because, you know, we... We do um, largely WordPress-based projects. And so a lot of people come to us with just a very brief sort of outline of what they want to do. And so we start asking, okay, why are you doing this? You know, what's the business motivation behind this? What is this going to do for you, for your business? Besides just, it's a pretty website, you know, what is this going to do for you? So we just kind of start with those questions to gain a better understanding of really their business motivations for the, you know, the technical project. And then go from there, you know, start to talk about, okay, what's that, what values that can provide and make sure that we can, you know, provide that return that we, that we want to. Do, do you find that most of your clients are technical or non-technical people? Uh, and does that make a difference? I find that most of our clients are non-technical people. Does it make a difference? I don't know, probably because we don't have a very good mix because so many of them are non-technical. You know, they're the, the small business owner or the marketing person at a, at a larger business, stuff like that. So that's an interesting question. I, I, I do kind of wonder what that would be like, you know, if your clients are, are technical. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about how your business is run. So you do WordPress-based stuff. What, what kind of work do you actually do? For a long time, our bread and butter has been custom site design and development. Somebody comes to us, they need a site redesign, or they need a website for a new business. We design it. Uh, my part, I have a partner and he's, uh, he has more of a design background. I have more of a development background. So we design and build their website. Um, so that's what we've done for a long time, but we've also started to do a little bit more custom plugin development, especially for membership sites. And then we've also earlier this year launched a, um, the buzzword right now is productized consulting service. So helping people with conversion optimization, you know, kind of on a monthly retainer basis. We haven't focused on that too much, and so that hasn't really taken off yet, but that's something we definitely want to grow in that area. And the people to whom you're offering the productized consulting, it's the same clients as you have for other things, or is this a, a way to find or get new clients whom you otherwise wouldn't be able to reach? A little bit of both. So the clients we've had in the past who are mostly smaller businesses don't really work for that service. Um, for one thing, with that service, you need a, a minimum amount of traffic to a website. So a lot of our clients, especially when we first started out, were local, just small businesses that need a website, but you know they're not doing any kind of e-commerce or anything on their site. 
their site isn't high traffic. And so it just you know, doesn't work with that kind of service. But there is now some overlap as we've started to do more um, membership sites. For one thing, that's a clear something very quantitative. So you you know you increase conversions on a site like that, and you can put a dollar value to it really easy. Um, so there's a little bit overlap there, but also part of it is yeah to expose to have something offered to a, a larger and, and different audience at the same time. Do you find that with the productized offerings? Are those easier or harder to sell than sort of the open-ended project or the custom estimated project? Come back and ask me in a year, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we, we haven't done enough of it yet that I could, could really say. So maybe for now the answer is that they're harder to sell because we're not selling very many of them. So, yeah. Now, have you targeted your marketing towards that outside? Like, how are you pushing people to that to see if no, it's we've, really we've definitely done. not? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we've definitely done a poor job of marketing that. And a lot of that is just the old uh, cobbler's children have no shoes kind of thing. You know, we it's, you know, focusing on the things that provide the cash flow and pay the bills, which are the, you know, our, our quote unquote normal projects versus that, which is building a, you know, building a longer term asset. And so we're kind of slowly chipping away at that, but need to chip a little harder, I guess. Where do you get new clients from? How do they find you or how do you find them? Almost all referrals at this point, and that's either referrals from past clients or referrals from peers, um, you know, from other people who do what we do. If, you know, if they have a, a lead that's not a good fit or they're too busy for, and then a little bit of referrals from, for instance, we've done some work with a particular membership plugin for WordPress and we get some referrals from them as well. When people, you know, come to them looking for customizations. But they'll send them our way sometimes. So almost all referral-based. You know, some just random search traffic, but mostly referrals, really. Do you think that the referral traffic is more willing to accept your estimates of what it's going to take or your value proposition as opposed to people who are coming to you cold? Not necessarily. I think a large part of that probably depends on the referral source. So I mentioned that plugin that we... You know, we get some referrals from them, but a lot of the people coming to them in our experience so far have been people who won something really cheap. Now, we have had a few great clients from there, so I think it really just depends. But no, there hasn't been like a, you know, a real strong indicator one way or the other there, to be honest. So you, you mentioned that you started dipping your toes into the productized consulting direction for your business. So aside from sort of ongoing client work and the productized consulting, are you trying some new directions as well to try to branch out? Um, you mean aside from, from those two things? Or? Yeah, aside from those two things. I mean, that already sounds, it already could be a lot, so you know, no pressure. Yeah, no, not really. It's more than enough to keep us, the two of us busy for right now. Yeah. How do you deal with, I mean, or do you ever encounter the problem of someone saying, well, it's only two guys. Like, do I really want to work with such a small agency? We haven't really encountered that, but at, at the same time, most of our clients have been fairly small. And that's obviously that's a relative term, but yeah, we haven't really encountered that. We did have, we do, we do have one client right now who's um, pretty large. They have hundreds and hundreds of employees spread out all over the country, you know, huge revenue numbers. And they came to us because of a relationship we had with one of their employees from a past business that they were involved in. And if I remember, there may have been a little bit of hesitation on their part, 
because we were so small, but they were also in kind of dire straits. You know, they had a, a really bad situation that they needed help with. And, you know, we just got it done, delivered what we said we would on time. And so they've been with us ever since. And that's been a year and a half ago. So I think, you know, maybe that's one thing that, you know, especially solo people might be hesitant about, you know, talking to a larger client. But as long as you're realistic about what you can deliver, I don't think there's any reason not to go after those larger clients. Oh, yeah, Travis. So you mentioned in the chat here, we should talk about it, mastermind. So I, I seem to remember seeing a, a tweet or a blog post from you saying, basically, one of the things you absolutely have to do is join a mastermind. I tweeted that out a few days ago. I said, I think my, my top two tips for, for freelancers, and I said, don't call yourself a freelancer, raise your prices and join a mastermind group. Is that I think that's what probably what you're yeah. Yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about. Yeah, so that actually got yeah quite a bit of uh, feedback on that. Um, yeah, I think I'm actually working on a blog post. was writing it earlier today, earlier this year, about four months ago. My partner, Michael, and myself joined a, a mastermind group, and that's been tremendously helpful in our business. It was kind of focused on people who are doing the productized consulting thing. But that's not really the, the sole focus. You know, a lot of the, the people in there also do sort of general consulting or, or development work. And it's been great. A lot of it has been, you know, we have a, a Slack chat room that most of us idle in. And so it's really helpful to be able to bounce ideas off of other people, um, get input on how to communicate with a client, how to handle situations that come up you know, get feedback on, hey, is this client crazy? Should I fire them? Stuff like that. So it's it's been tremendously helpful. And that's even for us. And Michael and I share an office, so we, we see each other every day. But if you're solo, even more so, I, I think that would be tremendously valuable to be a part of a group like that. How did you find your mastermind group? They found me, actually. Um, but it was, it was a couple people that I knew that I talked to on Twitter before. And so I, for somebody who isn't in one already, that would be my first suggestion is just be out there talking to people. And that doesn't mean be on Twitter all day, you know, do your work, but be intentional about building relationships with your peers and either ask about joining somebody else's group or, Hey, just go ahead and start one. You know, identify, identify a few people that you think would be a good fit and, you know, try it out. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely found that the mastermind group that I'm in every week has been great. Just, I mean, yes, we try to help each other solve problems and get advice. But more than that, just the feeling that I'm talking to other people who are in the same boat as I am. They they get me and what my issues are. And we're all trying to help each other, sort of mutually reinforcing. I found that to be a great relief because it's not easy to find other people who are in the same boat as I am. Yeah, totally. Especially, you know, if the people you who are in your life, you know, quote unquote, in the, you know, in real life, in the physical world, whatever, if they aren't business owners, if they're not freelancers, whatever, then, you know, they may not understand where you're coming from with a lot of your, you know, questions or problems or whatever. So it's, it's, yeah, it's hugely valuable and that can lift a big burden to be able to share that stuff with other people for sure. Now, is your mastermind group free or paid, Travis? It is a free group. Yeah. We sort of have somebody who runs things, but not really. It's pretty loose. We do two monthly calls. Most of our interaction actually happens in our, our chat room with Slack, which is really great because there's usually a, at least a couple people in there. And so you can get pretty quick feedback on something that you need help with and vice versa. You know, you can help other people in close to real time. So that's that's been really, really valuable for us. And you said it was bi-monthly calls, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, two calls a month and then a Slack room. We have a kind of like a discussion forum thing, but we don't really use it. We found that the combination of the phone calls and using the, the chat room is, is a pretty good combo. Curtis, are there masterminds that are paid? I actually had no idea. Do you Are you in the freelancers union for free, Reuven? Well, the freelancers guild I paid for, but I mean... That helped us set up the mastermind, but truth be told, okay, okay, that's an interesting point. But I mean, if I wanted to leave that and keep doing the, you know, the mastermind with these people I met, or if I met some other people, I mean, I guess in that case, I joined the guild for a bunch of things and I discovered the mastermind through that. But if I were to find some other people, oh, you know, random people who are independent consultants who I might bump into on a podcast, you know, that would be perfectly legitimate. I, I wouldn't see necessarily a reason to charge for that. The paid yes, ones I've seen. There are, are paid masterminds, though, too. I will be opening up some in the new year um, where I will be leading them and kind of coaching through them and opening up mastermind spots. Got yeah, it. The, Got the it. ones I've seen where you pay, it's, you're not paying, you're, where you're paying to be in the group, you're paying to have like a dedicated moderator. So someone who kind of runs the group, does all the administration, all that stuff. Um, and there's some, I've heard of some that are thousands of dollars uh, a year to get into. And is that also because they have someone who's that main person is also sort of providing some coaching aspect as well? Yeah, it probably, it's a little bit of that, but also it's, there's like an application process. And so they only let in certain people. And so like, if you get in, you know, you're like with other top dogs or whatever in industry. Uh, so the information is a lot more, you know, supposed to be a lot more valuable than if it was just a group of people that kind of came together. Yeah. So it's just the exclusivity. So, you know, those people are taking it seriously. Right. Yeah, I, I was part of a paid mastermind. One of the other things that, you know, we all had something in common. We all sort of belonged to the group when we got in. And that was another thing that was uh, important. But yeah, we did get some coaching and some help from the person running it. And, you know, overall, it was a positive experience. I think it was better run than the one that I'm in now, which I kind of just pulled together, you know, with other people that I want wanted advice from and was willing to give advice to. So, I mean, there there is something to be said for it. The other thing is, is that the group that I was a part of, there were 30-ish people involved, I think. And then um, we were all in different groups within the, you know, overarching group. And so uh, there was a forum with more discussion with more people that would happen on a regular basis. And then we would have a call twice a month. So there was a lot to go on with all of that. and And we were getting value out of it in several different ways. And so why'd you leave it, Chuck? The person who was running it shut it down. He had other projects he wanted to pursue. So he quit mm-hmm. billing our credit cards and shut it down. Wow. Well, I can see, though, how for people who are sort of new to masterminds, or even if you're not, I mean, I can see how when we started off my group, it probably would not have been a bad idea for us to get some coaching or advice from someone who knew a little more what they were doing. And that, you know, that can be potentially valuable. Yeah, definitely. And there are people who provide that, you know, as a... Obviously, people, you know, business coaches, that's definitely another valid um, avenue to sort of build that confidence for sure. So I'm kind of curious, um, when you were starting out, Travis, were there instances where you weren't confident in the value yeah. you were offering? And and what was kind of your hang up there? Yeah, totally. And not, not just in the value that I'm offering. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about that, about value and pricing, but just confidence in, um, you know, in, in what you're doing, I think. People don't talk about it a lot, but I think a lot of people 
I hope I'm not the only one. I don't know. Who, you know, sometimes kind of wonder, like, can I do this? Is this my cut out for this? You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, definitely. It's especially starting out. So, again, it's just a, you know, a process of gaining that experience and, you know, having successful client relationships, you know, one after the other and start building on those and um, just building that confidence over the long haul. And I, th- I think that's another, you know, another thing. It's easy for people who are just starting out, um, don't have as much experience to see other people who have tons of experience and are experts and just think, gosh, you know, I, I could never get to that level or they're way smarter than me. They know way more than me, whatever. But I think it's important to remember that what you see publicly is, you know, people kind of show their best stuff on the internet. So when you read someone's, you know, some expert's blog, that's all the best stuff because they've curated it and, you know, they're, they're publishing um, all the stuff they actually know, but they're probably not publishing those blog posts, you know, where they're awake in the middle of the night thinking, am I going to screw up this client relationship or am I going to be able to keep my business running or whatever the case may be. So I think that's an important perspective to keep in mind that, you know, everybody kind of looks like they have it all figured out, but probably most people don't actually have it all figured out. So. No one does. Yeah. Everybody's, at least I'm just making it up as I go along. <laughs> yeah. I it's mean, like, there's this like saying. <laughs> yeah. There's like a saying where things on the internet is you're basically looking at other people's highlight reels. You don't yes. know all of the stuff that's been cut and all that. And I yeah. found being in mastermind groups was useful because I was in a few where there's like some of the other members were highly successful and very public. And you could look at, you know, what they're projecting publicly, like their highlights but then talking to them and figuring out what they're struggling with. And you realize like they struggle with the exact same things everyone else does. They're just getting through it or working around it or kind of trying to ignore those problems and still being public about it and growing their business or whatever it is that way. Um, so kind of, you know, seeing both sides of it's very useful. Yeah, totally. That's, that's a great point. Great extra benefit of a mastermind group that I hadn't really thought of, but now that you mention it, yeah, I see the same thing in our group, you know, being in a group with these people who are super successful and almost sort of internet celebrity, but then being able to talk to them as, you know, real people. It's great. Wait, celebrities are real people too? Um, no. only, only internet celebrities. Oh, okay. Not Hollywood celebrities. <laughs> They're evil robots. Yes. Got it. Yeah. That's not all evil. Yeah. Some of them are benign robots, right? <laughs> so if you were talking to someone who were, you know, if someone came to you and my impression is this actually does happen to you a fair amount. Someone came to you and said, I'm interested in going to independent consulting. What would be the first things that you suggest that they worry about or deal with? That doesn't happen that much, but it's a great question. The first things they should deal with, I would say just start doing. So find the first client and just start gaining experience by doing. You know, it's easy to sit around and read lots of books and talk to lots of people and think about what you should be doing, but there's no replacement for actually getting out there and having a paying relationship with a client and delivering on a project and collecting the money. Um, I think you learn way more from doing that than from anything else. Now, again, and I mentioned this earlier, I think intentionally educating yourself over time is a huge confidence booster, but especially starting out, there's no replacement for having that first interaction, that first client relationship. Yeah, that's true. I think getting out with a client gives you opportunity to fail too, right? That's often where we learn the most. Whereas just thinking about it, all you think about is how awesome you are and how you're going to kill it. It's likely you're going to have a failure at some point. Yep, totally. Got to fall off the horse and get back up again. My daughter actually does horseback riding. So when someone at her place at her stable falls off, 
they not only have to get back on the horse, but they have to bring everyone a cake. And like they bring a cake to the, you know, to the next meeting. And the idea is this is part of it. We're all going to celebrate together that you're making progress. Um, not cry over the fact that you had a failure. And so, you know, she fell off and she was like, well, got to bring a cake. And it was a, a very positive message that they brought. Yeah, that's an awesome way to make it not seem such like such a terrible thing, for sure. The cake is a lie. It's <laughs> funny that we do that. Like, I know at my house we do that even with our kids, right? The baby tumbles over and bonks her head on something. You look at her and you cheer all happy and smile. And she's just like, oh, okay. And keeps on going to whatever she's doing. Yeah, totally. As we get to be adults, we stop that type of stuff, right? Because, you know, we don't necessarily cry ourselves and, well, often cry ourselves and uh, aren't making all that noise that we want to shut down. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. You've already mentioned some of this, but like, you know, how, how do you feel like you've changed over the years as a consultant? What, what are things that you've changed about yourself and changed about the way you do business that you think has benefited you? Um, I think one thing is just with that, you know, several years of experience being more confident in my interactions with clients. So whereas before I might, you know, kind of throw something out there really hesitantly, now I'm much more confident in being able to be direct and honest with them about, you know, whatever the the specific situation might be. That's something we talked about in our mastermind group, uh, I think last week, learning to be direct with your clients and not be scared that they're going to think you're a jerk or something like that. Not being mean, but, you know, it's easy to, especially starting out, to be really hesitant and not want to offend someone or step on their toes, but you can provide way more value to somebody if you're honest with them about their situation and what they should do about it. Um, so that's, I think that's a big thing is learning to be more direct and, and confident in that, in the advice I'm giving to people. Was there a resource that helped you with that, gaining that, or is it just uh, experience, like you said earlier? Not a specific resource that has helped me with that, but probably just, just mainly experience. Yeah. And that experience of seeing a positive outcome of, you know, doing, doing those things and then seeing the good that results from that. All righty. Well, should we go on to picks? Sure. All right. Curtis, what are your picks? I'm going to pick two podcasts that I happened along recently. Art of Value just launched last week and that's with Kirk Bowman, who was on episode 109. Uh, and then he actually got me on another podcast called The Soul of Enterprise, which is nothing short of amazing. The problem with both of those is that I usually listen to podcasts while I'm running or riding my bike, and I have to keep stopping to take notes about all the stuff they're saying or listen to it a second time because they're excellent. <laughs> I love those. Reuven, what are your picks? Okay, so I've got a few picks. First of all, three shameless self-promotion picks. I'm doing a free webinar, I think. Oh, it'll probably be... Oh, we don't come out until after that. Never mind. You've missed the free webinar already, which will be on the 22nd, unless you get an early cut of this. But where can they sign up for the next one, Ruben? But the next one... find out information about the next one. It'll be on my website, uh, learner.co.il. I think I'm going to do these about once a month. I had so much fun doing the one last month that uh, I decided I'm just going to keep doing them. And separately, and after the podcast comes out, I'm going to be giving two full-day online classes, one on the 27th, October 27th, and one on October 29th, the first on functional programming in Python, and the second in object-oriented programming in Python. So both should be lots of fun, small, online, lots of interactions, and lots of exercises. And separately from my promotional stuff, 
Uh, I'll mention, I think it was Curtis last week. I can't remember if it was a pick or if you just mentioned it. Uh, the Lemony Snicket series, a series of unfortunate events. So he has a new series out called All the Wrong Questions, which is not quite as funny, but really, really close and still incredibly fun to read either to yourself or if you need an excuse with a child in your house. So I definitely uh, encourage you to read the three books of the four that are out of that series so much so far. Anyway, that's it for this week. You have a course too, don't you, Curtis? Yes, I do. I have a course that launched to the email list as we record this and publicly tomorrow called Hope is Not a Strategy. And that will be up on my site as of tomorrow, which is the 15th of October. And it is only on sale till the end of the month. So it will run from November through December, include six webinars and a bunch of other stuff, depending on which package you'd like. My site is curtismchale.ca. Awesome. Speaking of webinars, we're also going to be doing our Q&A webinar on the 25th of November. So if you have questions about freelancing, that's a good place to, to check it out. Eric, do you have some picks for us? One is from the Fresh Books blog. It's Freelancing 101. The title is Watch for Commitment Flags Early On. Um, it's a good post to read if you are getting started or you have problems kind of getting clients to follow through with stuff. Um, it's nice and short. It's a nice little story. Uh, the second is kind of, uh, after talking with Peter, what was it a couple weeks ago now? He basically pushed me enough to start my own weekly email newsletter. It's called Freelance Chi. It's going to be coming out every Friday. It's going to be news, resources, links, that kind of thing for freelancers and consultants. It's 100% free. Um, the first one's coming out this week, but it would have been last week when you get this. So, you know, you can sign up. I'll have the archives online somewhere. I just haven't figured all this stuff out. But you can go to freelancechi.com. So chi.com. But you're already missing out. Yeah, just just like the the webinar. It's already passed. It's in the past. You can't go, but it's going to be online, so you can just read it. It's not live. All right. Uh, speaking of webinars, I, too, am doing a webinar or three. So the, the one that is most interesting to this audience is the podcasting webinar I'm going to be doing. If you go to pickuppodcasting.com, uh, you can sign up. It's going to be on October 24th. And you'll get all the details in the mailing list along with my guide to podcasting tools. And um, I'm now working on the follow-up series, which gives you a whole bunch of other great stuff related to tools and podcasting setup and all of that stuff. So just to put that out there, I'm going to have that out there. If you're interested in Rails, I'm working on putting together something on Rails 4.2. And if you're interested in JavaScript... And mobile development, I have one coming up on that as well, but I don't have the websites up for those yet. So uh, stay posted or shoot me an email or tweet at me and I'll tell you where to get them. But those will be the following two weeks. Anyway, those are my picks. Travis, what are your picks? So I've got a few picks. Uh, one is a blog post by Eric Barker. It's called How to Make Your Life Better by Sending Five Simple Emails. And the next one is... Uh, Justin Jackson's newsletter. It's called the newsletter for product people, but I find that it's pretty broadly applicable. He's a pretty great guy, pretty funny as well. And he's, he puts out a pretty consistently good newsletter. And then I've got a video on YouTube. It's a talk given by Merlin Mann at Webstock in 2011. And it's called Scared Shitless. And I've, I think that's, uh, I've, I've watched that a few times now. I come back to that every, every now and then. And I think that goes along really well with our self-confidence theme for today. Very nice. All right. Well, I think that's the show. So thanks for coming, Travis. It was fun to chat, and we'll catch everyone next week. 
Awesome. Thanks for having me on. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum.